Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, I know we got a lot of new people here in the room. Really glad all of you are here. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and really glad that all of you are worshiping with us today. And as Mark mentioned a few minutes ago, we are in the second week of a series about the life of Paul. Really important guy in the New Testament has written a significant portion of the New Testament and speaks with a lot of boldness, a lot of authority. And as we read and study all those letters, I think it's really important for us to know who this guy is. And so we spent some time last week just kind of introing him. And if you were here, right, we were talking about his conversion because who he was before, he was a very, uh, he was very zealous, very sincere in his faith. He was, he was pursuing God the way that he thought he should and as such was kind of persecuting and kind of dealing with what he felt was like a very dangerous cult, which was what we would call Christianity. And he was trying to arrest people and trying to put this down, considered a very dangerous both religious and political movement. And he meets Jesus on the road. He's get this, he gets this letter from, from the leaders that says he has the authority to arrest anybody who says they're a Christian. And so and on, the, on the way to this city in Damascus, Jesus meets him on the, on the road in this form of this bright light and says, so why are you doing this? You're persecuting me. He's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Jesus. And his experience with the, with the light, this brilliant light that came from Jesus. He's blind for three days. And after three days, one of Jesus' disciples comes to him and ex- basically kind of explains to him what God has said about him and who, the truth about who Jesus is. And he repents and gives his life to Jesus. And we described that last week as kind of a, kind of a story in three acts, who he was before he found Jesus, this encounter that he has with Jesus, and how he responds to it. But the reality of it is, I mean, it is, it's a self-contained story that could be told in three acts, but really, it's just our intro. It's just our intro to his story. It could have been, it would have, been a, it would have made a great story in and of itself if that had all had been. Hey, here's a guy you may not know, and he, he used, to, used to persecute Christians. He met Jesus, and he came to faith. And it could have been the end, but God had a bigger plan for him. And we hear that at the end, that he has this plan that he is going to be God's instrument out in the world to bring people who both Jewish people and Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to, ho- to, to learn and understand who Jesus is. And so now really we've got this intro to his character. We've got his origin story, if you will. And now we're like, but what is this story going to be? And if, you know, and, and if you don't know, it's like you got this guy, he wasn't following God, and now he is, and now we're going to hear his story. What do you imagine his story is going to be? Because every now and then we can have an idea about what a story is going to be like, and then we get caught off guard. And, and, and the two, there's two movies that come to my mind specifically, and, and strangely enough, they're both Pixar movies, 
One is the, the, the movie Up. Have you ever seen that? It's a beautiful little love story between a man and a woman, and they both that they like to do adventures and how cute all of this is. And if you haven't seen it, it's really not a spoiler because it's like the first five minutes, they will then proceed to rip out your heart as you know, they find out she, she can't have she can't have kids, and, and then she gets sick, and all these plans that they have uh, aren't able to come true. And so now he's an old uh, widower trying to live out these dreams, and it is gut-wrenching. And if I cried a little bit in that movie, I cried a lot in Inside Out, where, oh, this is kind of fun. You kind of get to see all the different emotions that exist in people's brain. They're kind of personified, and sometimes she's sad, and sometimes she's angry, and sometimes she's joyful. This is cute. No, it is the journey of a girl from pre-adolescence to adolescence and as the dad of three daughters. I sobbed uncontrollably through most of that movie. I don't know why I watched it again. <laughs> I cried less, but still plenty. Right? And so you, you, you think the story's going one way and something very different happens. And I think a lot of us have it in our brain that he, his life wasn't right. He got right with God. Now the story is going to be a good story because I think sometimes we get this little quirk in our brain that somehow a if I'm not following God bad things are going to happen when I choose to follow God when I choose to do what's right when I get when I walk this path God makes it clean God makes it smooth God makes it easy so let's follow him on his journey because I think that there are some as sensational we talked about this last week as sensational as his story is in, in some of its details, I, I believe that it is very relatable to us. And so this is immediately after um, he, the scales come from his eyes, he repents, he's baptized. Verse 20, Acts chapter 9. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plans. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So we got a story here. It's kind of intro us into kind of what his life is like now that he has decided to become a follower of Jesus. And really, I believe this short passage that talks about kind of what this, maybe this first couple of months 
after he follows Jesus of what his life is going to be like are pretty emblematic, pretty typical of what his life is going to look like. And we're going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks kind of going in depth into a couple of the key points that we're going to see here. Because these couple of these things that we're going to see here are of a critical importance to understanding who Paul was and really what a journey with God is going to be like. But the first thing that I want to make sure that we all catch as we see what happens here is that he, he, he comes to faith, he is baptized, and then the next phrase we get in verse 20, at once, at once he began to preach. This is something that happened immediately, and here's, here's why we'll say it, that Paul immediately, Paul immediately follows God's plan for him, immediately. No hesitation, no training, no fear, no, well, we'll see, well, I got to figure some things out first, I got to kind of ease my way into the kiddie pool first or whatever. He immediately becomes someone who is now, I, I, I used to be opposed to Jesus, now I follow Jesus, and now at once he begins to tell people about Jesus. And as I think about this, I think about for those of us, for us, who are on a different sort of journey, but again, a similar one. We're heading the wrong way and then we make a decision to go the right way and then God says, okay, now this is what I want you to do and there's a hesitancy that we all have. Because this was the first thing I thought about when I thought about him saying at once, he does this at once. What's holding us back? What is it that is keeping it from being a part of our story that I got my life right with God and then at once... I allowed him to use me to help other people know who Jesus is. I think a lot of it is fear, a lot of fear, a lot of, a lot, a lot of anxiety that we might have. Some of it may come similarly from a feeling of inadequacy, that we are not good enough, we're not, we're not smart enough, we're not whatever enough. Now, Paul certainly did not lack for confidence. And again, I do not want to say that somehow he and his personality, that those things are typical. He's obviously a very zealous person. The kind of person who would go to the leaders of the Jewish faith and say, hey, give me some letters here where I have the authority to arrest people. And very zealously defending his faith. He was that before he found Jesus. And then he finds Jesus... And those same personality characteristics, a, a, a bold person, a confident person, those things, those things are in him. And so it's, 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 it's normal. And, and the thing that he's doing is very bold, going to the people that he was, he was on their team. And he's going to them and saying, hey, guess what? I was wrong. You're wrong. We're all wrong about what's really going on here and about where hope and life and truth are really found. Now, your story and what it is that God has called you to do is, you know, with a few exceptions, is unlikely to be as bold as that. You know, percentages would say that there are probably a couple of people in here that maybe God has called to be some sort of um, a missionary, a bold church planter of some sort, an evangelist of sorts. But we all have unique giftings, different giftings, different callings. We talked about this in the series before that. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and watch some of it. We, it, was a very, it was a very artistic 
uh, title that we used to describe this last series. It was very artistic, very creative. It was called Do Something, right? Do something. There is something that based on who God has designed you to be, your gifts, your passion, your strengths, your experiences, and he wants you to do it, both to serve each other, to serve our community, to help a hopeless world that lives in darkness to know who Jesus Christ is. There's a role that he's called you to play. He jumped in at once, but there are things that are holding us back. And so if that's you, as, as the telling of your story is being told, as you are reflecting on the moment you are in your journey, your path, are you one of the people, are, are you still on the sidelines? Are you allowing fear, doubt, anxiety, inadequacy, any of these things, are you allowing them to keep you from taking the bold step forward that you need to take in order to help your community, your neighborhood, your work, your school find hope and life in Jesus Christ? Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't have that. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't have that at all. In fact, he's very bold, and it describes him as like he's, he's talking to these people, and they're astonished. It's like, who? I, I, thought, I thought you were the guy that came here to get rid of the Christians, and now you're defending them. And, and he says he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. It's like it's, it's crazy how this, this, what, what he's doing. And so we've got this guy, he's incredibly bold, he's doing exactly what it is that God has called him to. Was, this was prophesied about him a few, a few verses for us, a few days ago for him, that this is who he was going to be, and he's, and he's living it out. So we've got this guy living out exactly who it is that God's called him to be, being incredibly faithful to God. And here's the point in which the story kind of turns, I think for a lot of us, with some, let's just say, including me, some mediocre theology. When you're doing right, things are going to go good, but that's not what happens. It says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learns of, his, of their plan, and it says they couldn't get him out because everybody's guarding all of the exits, and they dropped him from a basket out of a window to get him down the city wall so he could possibly escape. This is a powerful, important story to me. I think I've joked about this before. Growing up in Sunday school, hearing the same stories and over again. I don't know what it is about this particular story, Saul in a basket, but the flannel graph just pops in my head, which is had this little felt board kind of thing, and you put these little characters. I can see it. I can see Paul in the basket with the rope and the teacher putting it down. It's very vivid to me. It's a very vivid story, and it's kind of cool. We're kind of in action movie territory here, right? The hero is being chased by the bad guys, and there's a plot to kill him, and the people come around him and, and find this incredible way to escape. We're going to put him in a basket and just drop him from the window. It's kind of, actually kind of a cool bit of story, if not incredibly scary. And he does escape. And then he goes to Jerusalem where Jesus' original 11 disciples are there. You know, they, they wanted to kill me here with these people that I used to be connected with. Now I'm going to go find peace and refuge with the people. I'm on their new team. Jesus' disciples and they reject him. Like, bro, we don't know. You're a scary guy who's been used for a long time to persecute us, and they reject him. And so what we see here, he immediately follows God's plan for him, but very quickly he meets obstacles and op opposition. Very quickly. It says many days. It doesn't say many months. It doesn't say many years. It says days. 
days later, after his faithfulness to follow God and to do exactly what it was he calls us to, begins a murder plot against him. He is rejected. He clear. I mean, he, he changed teams, right? He used to be on this team. I don't believe this anymore. And in the flow of the story, it actually makes a lot of sense. Why? Of course, you're not on our team anymore. You're, you're a traitor, and we got to do something about it. Murder's a little extreme, of course, but it makes sense. And we, aren't gonna, we reject you. And it also makes sense that the new team would be fearful. In the flannel graph version of this story, the apostles are kind of the bad guys here. But think about it from their perspective. What is more likely to be true? That the guy who was designated to bring opposition and arrest and ultimately it happened with Stephen, possibly even execution for people who choose to follow Jesus, a guy who believes he is putting down a dangerous religious and political cult it is mo- what's most likely that this guy just happens to see some bright light and now he's following Jesus or it's a plot and he's trying to he's trying to use our words and terminology and say this so that he can get on the inside and capture and hurt all of us I mean maybe they should have been a little more trusting maybe but f- from their perspective it makes sense this is a scary guy But from Paul's perspective, where does he find himself? He finds himself completely rejected. He finds himself completely alone. I did exactly what it was that God called me to. I I did it. I, I turned from the bad things so that I could start doing the good things. And then as I started doing the good things, worse things happened. And I think there is this desire, this hope that we have, and I'm just going to suggest it's naive that if we do the right thing, that things then will get easy and better. And honestly, it may be the fact that some of us recognize that that is a reason, go back to point one, why some of us are still on the sidelines. We're still on the sidelines because we know that if I make the decision to do something that is right, that's not easy, that there are going to be some problems that come from it. And so that keeps us on the sidelines. Or maybe some of us moved forward to do the right thing. We took a step of faith to be who God has called us to be, and we find ourselves in an unexpected position. We find ourselves in an unexpected position of of being rejected, of being hurt for things being way more challenging than I thought they would be. I was talking to a friend just last week who um, finds himself now twice in the last couple of years advancing in his career, being who he thinks God has called him to be, and then being asked to skirt the lines of integrity. Now you find yourself in a very difficult situation. Well, I, I, I can either choose wrong and, and know bad things are going to happen, or I can choose right and also know that bad things are going to happen. And the reality of it is that is the way that life works. It is very often you can find yourself what is right and what is easy are not the same things. And to choose what is right is going to cause problems. Now, I could, there's lots of examples from this I could use. When you, when you find yourself, and I, I can say it yourself, I'll just say it. When you find myself, when I find myself 
in a situation where you kind of live a semi-public life, where you talk and act in a way like, hey, I'm, I'm leading a Christian organization. I, I'm trying to help you understand what God says here. And then you try to lead that. You're going to find yourselves in a lot of difficult, challenging circumstance. And, and any number of things could come to mind. And I'm trying to think of something I don't know if I've necessarily even talked about here before. And um, this is a fairly recent one. Go back to March of 2020. When suddenly the world gets completely turned upside down. And now you've got to figure out how to do church when, when everyone is saying we're not supposed to be in the same room anymore. And I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think that seminary, seminary is preacher grad school, right? I don't know what you think seminary is like. I don't know what you think the classes are. I don't know what you think the topics are. But I assure you, navigating your church through a pandemic was not a class that I took. And even in the pastoral leadership class, singular <laughs> class that I took, there was not one that said... Uh, the effectiveness and morality of masks, that wasn't one of them. Social distancing and community, can they coexist? That was not a lecture. There was, there, was, there was none of these things. And how do you navigate it? And if your goal in someone like me who just is just, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sensitive guy. You see me up here, hey, he's a bold, he's kind of a fun guy. I, got, I mean, I've already said, right? I bawled my eyes out and inside out. That's kind of who I am. And so I'm like, I want to do this, but I don't want to upset people. And it seemed like no matter what you do, all you could do was upset people. Right? You, you, and and, and you, you, get the same, you get emails and calls from both sides. Too many masks, not enough masks. Too much social distancing, not enough. Too much following the guidelines, too much not following the guidelines. And you just, and everybody is angry and intense and you're just sitting there just I'm just I'm just trying to do I'm just trying to do the right thing and and it's difficult not to mention the fact I mean I'm trying to lead a church and just the fact that all of this happens why I don't I didn't I didn't I didn't want it to happen in the first place much less have them trying to figure it out but this world was not designed to be easy it was not designed to be simple the real issues and the real, the, real, the, the real obstacles that we face are neither simple nor easy. And doing the right thing has no correlation at all with simple and easy. And so I hope, I hope that you're not allowing that to keep you on the sidelines. And if you're experiencing right now, I hope that you're, your theology can graduate from if I do the right thing, good things will happen to a more, I do the right thing because it is the right thing. I do what call, God calls me to do because he called me to do it. Not anticipating or expecting some sort of everything now is perfect. I know that God is with me. I know that it is right. And so if you are on that step in your journey, I, I pray that you will allow God to comfort you in the discouragement. Because sometimes when you do the right thing and you take a stand for God in some way, it can feel like Paul does. Like you're kind of, like, like you're on an island. Like you're, like, you're, like you're by yourself. And Mark is going to talk about this 
more in depth in a couple of weeks, just kind of these, these persecutions that he had and, and these things that he experienced. And if you read Paul, he likes it. I would say it feels a little bit like he brags about it, right? He's bragging. He's bragging about it. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've, they tried to kill me this many times. They beat me this many times. But I've been hit with these many rocks. And he's like, he's just, he's like, he's so casual about it. But like, I would imagine, like, you never forget the first time, your first murder plot against you, right? Who's with me on that? Yeah, you always remember the first time people threatened to kill you, right? Um, I don't know if it'd be interesting to know, do a poll. We don't have to do it right now. I mean, people have had someone threaten to kill them. Anyways, um, like, like, but for real. Anyways, okay. But I would imagine the first time that this happens to him, the isolation, the fear, believing that you're alone, questioning the decision, whether or not I've chosen right. And then God does what God does. And we get this guy, he kind of enters, he kind of enters our story here. And he's going to end up being a pretty major character in the life of Paul, a really good friend, a partner. And he's going to show up at a lot of really interesting times. And when he shows up, it's almost always something like this. Someone has been hurt. Someone is feeling isolated. Someone is feeling discouraged. Someone has been discounted in some way. And this guy Barnabas shows up, verse 27. It's talking about that the disciples were afraid, thinking he was some sort of, you know, liar and spy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. So Paul immediately follows. He follows God's, God's plan for him and meets very, very quickly, meets obstacles and opposition. And now he feels alone and isolated. And then this guy shows up. Now I want to keep this for the most, I try, I'm trying to keep this about Paul, but you got to take a minute here. You got to take a minute here and recognize this guy. Because we live in a world where a lot of people are experiencing something very similar to what Paul's experiencing. His life was wrong. And then he turned to follow God. But because of the past, because of some shame, because of the significance of the bad things that he's done, he's trying to turn from it. And so, of course, his old team has rejected him. But the new team doesn't trust him anymore. And this happens all the time. Maybe not this particular thing where you've got a guy who was vehemently and violently persecuting Christians. But someone because of a sexual sin of some kind, some sort of, you know, public thing that has happened, something something that has happened with their work, something that has happened to their family, something about their past has kind of put them in a place where a church looks at them and says, I don't know that we necessarily want that here. And this happens, unfortunately, it happens a lot. I do not believe that it happens here, but it does happen a lot. But I'll tell you, you know what does happen here a lot? A lot of Pauls show up. I've, I, I don't want to say I've lost count in the sense that it's somehow in the dozens or whatever, but I, I, I did lose count somewhere around three or four, I think, 
the number of times where people have called us and said, I would like to visit your church, but my parole officer said, I need permission first before I come to any public place. This happens a lot. The number of conversations that I've had with someone, and this is a, their first Sunday out of prison, or where somebody has made some careless mistake with their marriage, or, or sexually, or, I mean, we have had people in our church make headlines in the paper and not the good kind. And people like that are a part of our church all of the time. And some of you may feel like that is who you are. And in a world that is overwhelmed with people like Paul, I want to encourage you with this. Be a Barnabas. Be Barnabas. Be Barnabas in this world. There are people here who need another chance, who are trying to get things right, but because of what they've done in their past, we're scared, and because of the changes they're trying to make, these people have rejected them. When, those, when people who have done something, fill in the blank, they've done something, maybe even they're doing something, when they find us here, what will they find? When they meet you at work, when they meet you in your neighborhood, what will they find? Will they find someone who rejects them out of hand? Will they find someone who allows fear to overwhelm them? Again, let's think about this story. We know, we, we, we've read the whole story. Barnabas could have been wrong. Barnabas could have been right and Paul changes his mind again. That was not a zero risk proposition that Barnabas took a chance and vouched for Paul and took him in and loved him well. Because I sit here and I encourage these men, hey, give them another chance. Love some people well that believe that they don't deserve it or that people have decided they don't deserve it. Love them well. Well, I might get hurt. Yep, they might betray me. Yep, they might do it again. Yep, they might not be repentant. Nope. All of that is a possibility. But what we see in the life of Barnabas is a reflection of the love of Jesus who saw in that culture the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people that were considered the lowest of the lows because of what they'd done, because of their sin. We see, we see love, we see grace, we see compassion. And the stories we get are the ones where the person is very humbly repenting and turning to Jesus. Can you imagine that every person that Jesus showed love and compassion to ended up turning their life around and following him? I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that's the case. But I do know who God has called us to be. And God has called us to be people who find people like Paul 
stuck between worlds, trying to shake off a past, trying to become somebody different. He has called us to bring love and compassion to them. So I don't know where you are on your story. I don't know if your story is you still have not taken that step of faith just personally to follow Jesus or after following Jesus to being faithful to who he's called you to be. Get off the sidelines and follow. I don't know if you find yourself in a weird place where you feel like you're doing the right things, but things are just kind of crumbling around you. And I pray that God will upgrade all of our theology to not allow discouragement to discourage us from being who God has called us to be. Or maybe you're Barnabas and you're a little bit on the other end of it. I would love to hear his story about what it was in his past that made him such a compassionate person to people who struggle. Because we'll see, we see it all throughout the book of Acts. And God is calling you to step into the lives of other Pauls. But wherever you are, I pray that today will be a significant step forward in your faith journey. To get off the sidelines. To move forward regardless of the discouragement. And to be an encourager to the people around you. So as we worship and reflect, we're going to worship here. We have a couple more songs. I encourage you, whatever posture you take, standing, hands, head down, that you would just pour out your heart in worship and thankfulness to a God who no matter what stage you find yourself in is giving his encouragement and grace to you. We've got a response area in the back with communion, with prayer candles, with prayer team, with a pray, pray at the cross, lots of different ways to physically respond today. But wherever we are in our journey, let us take that next step forward. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for this story. God, I thank you that it wasn't clean. God, I thank you that the stories in the Bible aren't clean, but they're real. And God, again, as the details of his journey are more sensational, God, I pray that we can find relatability there. Taking step forwards of faith finding hope and encouragement and isolation. And God, that you would bring Barnabases into our lives and God, that we would be Barnabas in the lives of people. And as always, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ and the death that he died and his resurrection that makes this life with you even possible. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.